Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you're taking notes today, which I hope you all are, the title of my message is The Great Escape. Can you say that with me? The Great, the great Escape. Now, people ask, okay, Pastor Scott, where do you get these titles? And I say, well, I, I get the titles from the text. I, I study the text, I find the theme, and then I, I look for a, a title that matches the theme. So today we're going to talk uh, uh, for a while about this theme of escape. But before I get into the text itself, let me ask you all a question. How many of you all have ever been to an escape room? An escape room. Raise your hand. Let me see. Raise them high. Okay, well, it's good to see you escape to be here. Uh, raise your hand if it was a little scary when you went in the first time. You know, pe- people, so here's the deal. People, you, you, you paid money to get trapped in a room and for a spirit of fear to come so that you could, you know, follow the clues to get out before the hour was over. Y'all know that's what the escape room is all about. You pay money, you go in as a group, you've got what? You've got 60 minutes to follow the clues in the room and to find the key or whatever to, to, to break free. Now, listen, I've done this before and there are all kinds of diversions and rabbit trails. They create it that way on purpose. So you think you found the way out, but that just, a lot of times it leads you completely away from the way out. But the aim is to go through all the clues. You find the the key to get out of the room before the time is up. All right. Now with that in mind, with that in mind, with what I just said in mind, I'm here to remind you this morning that your time is almost up. History is winding to a close. How many of y'all know, if you live to be a hundred years old, life is very, very short. So smile while you still have teeth. How many of y'all know life is very short? How many of y'all know, I mean, this thing's going by fast. And, and, and the time, time is, is winding down. That's true, of course, for you personally. But that's true for all things that exist cosmologically, like there's coming a day when everything will be destroyed. Everything that is will be destroyed and this present order will be done away with. And the Bible teaches, and it's what I'm going to preach today because it's what's next in the text, that a day is coming, listen carefully, when all humanity will stand before the living God in judgment. All humanity will be drawn irresistibly before the throne of God to give an account to him for what we have done. And on that day, there will be no escape unless you have believed in Jesus and surrendered your life to him. And I'm here this morning to remind you that time is very, very short. And we, with a prophetic voice, need to let culture know that time is running out. That time is very short. And that the only way that culture can escape the coming judgment is by the blood of Jesus Christ, by surrendering to him. And, and that, that's what Paul, that is what Paul is going to remind us of this morning. 
He's going to put this right in front of us as we work through this text. Luke wrote it, but this is predominantly about Paul reminding us about this day that's coming that no one can avoid, that no one can escape unless they believed in and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, people, when I go this direction, I can inevitably hear someone saying, Pastor Scott, can't you be more positive? Yes, I am positive that judgment day is coming. And as a preacher, I am here to remind you that that day is coming very quickly. And I'm here to remind you so that you can go remind culture that that day is coming very quickly. And what I'm going to share today is perhaps the most important thing that can ever come forth from this pulpit. So are y'all ready to receive it today? All right, Acts chapter 21, picking it up today in, in, in verse 17. We're going to start there, and we're going to have all the scriptures here on the screen. And what I'm going to do today is kind of crazy. I, I've never done what I'm about to do, so today's kind of like the, the grand experiment. I'm going to cover Acts 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, and 24. Will y'all let me do that? Are y'all going to let me do that? Now, this, this requires a lot of work on my part, like to keep this and to deliver it in a way that makes sense. It's concise. So are y'all ready? I'm going, to do, I'm going to do the best I can. Are y'all ready? Here we go. Now, if you recall from last Sunday, there's a prophet named Agabus in Acts 21 who warned Paul by the Holy Spirit that if Paul the apostle went to Jerusalem, that he would be bound there and handed over to the Gentiles. And so Paul hears this word, receives this word, uh, as a word from this, this prophet. But nonetheless, though he heard it and he received it as a, a real warning, we're told in the text that Paul, well, he went anyway. He, he, he was ready to go to Jerusalem and even die there if, if, if that was God's will. And what I love about Paul is that he was so courageous, he was so bold, he was just ready to do the will of the Lord, whatever, whatever that involved. And, and I said weeks ago, I said, the, the will of God is not safe. But the will of God is sure. How many of y'all know the will of God is not safe? If you don't believe me, just ask Jesus because it landed him on the cross. Now, thank God there was a resurrection. But the will of God is, is not always safe, but the will of God is sure. And so Paul was dedicated to just doing the will of God. And he knew that if he did the will of God, God would be pleased and people would be blessed. And so Paul, of course, he, he, he went to Jerusalem, And here in verse 17 of chapter 21, here, here's what Luke tells us. He says, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers, the Christians there received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, Paul related one, say this with me, one by, by what? One by one, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Now, if you remember back to the beginning of the series uh, over a year ago, I said that the early church was a witnessing church. The early church did not wait on people to come to them. The early church went to them. In other, in other words, it wasn't a, a come and see thing. It was a go and tell and the early believers, the apostles, they went into the world, they preached the gospel, they performed signs, wonders, and miracles, and you, you know the story if you've been here. I mean, just incredible things happen chapter after chapter through the book of Acts. But, but the greatest miracle, perhaps, was the fact that when, when the gospel was preached, 
like men and women who are spiritually dead came to life. They believed the gospel and they were rescued from spiritual darkness, from bondage. They were saved and set free. I can put it this way, that chapter after chapter, both Jews and Gentiles escaped. They escaped the bondage. They escaped bondage to sin and much more. And this is what we see through through Acts. And so here we're told that Paul shows up and here are the elders in Jerusalem. And I love this. He recounts one by one what God had done among the Gentiles. Now, Jews would expect for God to do great things among Jews. But Paul, as a Jew, testified about how God had done great things among the non-Jews, the Gentiles. How they had been set free. And I love the the language here, one by one. Not that he testified about one thing or two things, but one by one, Paul went down the list and he bragged on God. How many of y'all know we got to do a better job at that? We got to brag on God. As I said earlier, the the, the devil gets so much press. But, you know, one reason we gather on Sunday is for us to come together and let's just brag on God. Let's talk about what God's done. I'm sick and tired of hearing what the devil's doing. Let's talk about what God has done. Let's talk about what God is doing. Let's talk about what God's going to do. Come on, church. Let's brag on our God because he's on the throne. He's sovereign. And we got to rejoice over that. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the despair of this world, God is still on the throne. No one's going to kick him off. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to deliver. And as I look around here today, I can recount one by one the people who have been set free from their bondage, who have escaped their bondage, who've been set free by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can count literally one by one we could go on for an hour just talking about what God's done right here in this sanctuary. Come on, raise your hand if you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. You've been set free. The Holy Spirit has freed you. The Holy Spirit has empowered you. Come on, raise your hand if you're forgiven through Jesus Christ. If you're in Him, you are. But raise your hand if you're also a new creation doing new things, actually righteous for God. Come on, if that's you, that's God's doing. And he works in you, Paul says, both the will and to work. That's God at work in you. Now, y'all, I didn't preach last Sunday, so I got a lot of energy today. Listen to me carefully, Marty. Listen, listen carefully. This is so good. Paul recounts one, say it with me, by one, all that God had done among the Gentiles. So, I mean, we got, what, chapter 21, verses 17 through 20. So far, so so good, right? As we move forward in the story, it's a big story. What follows is, well, the fulfillment of Agabus's prophecy. Namely, that Paul would be bound and that Paul would experience opposition in Jerusalem. And what I'm going to show you is that this prophecy came to pass. And at least twice, everybody say twice. At least twice, it looked like Paul's life was over. I mean, if you, if, you, if you read the story and you've never read it before, I mean, you're like, okay, man, this is, the, this is the end of Paul. Like, it's been nice knowing you, Paul. But at least twice, just in the stories that we're looking at today, at least twice, Paul's life was spared. Paul, here's the, here's the word I used earlier. He, he starts with an E. He escaped. He escaped. Watch this. 
First of all, we're told that the Jews from Asia falsely accused Paul of teaching against the Jews, Jewish people, the temple, which is a big no-no, the law, and more. They accused Paul of bringing Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jews, into parts of the temple that they were not supposed to go into, which was a huge no-no. They stirred up these reports, these rumors started circulating about how Paul was teaching all these things contrary to the Jewish way, violating Jewish customs and so forth. And it was all, it was all a big lie. It was just it was a big rumor. And it just shows how much they hated Paul. They, they would make up any story they could to, to, to get Paul in trouble. And, you know, Paul's just like Jesus. You know, they did the same thing to Jesus. Y'all know that? The same thing to, to Paul. And they will probably do the same thing to us to get us in trouble. And if you uh, don't think that trouble is coming, uh, I promise you, I'm here prophetically to remind you of the great promise of God, that a student is not above his master. If they persecuted Jesus, I promise you, they will persecute every single one of you in here in days to come if you take a stand for Jesus. If you don't, the, the world will leave you alone. You want to be left alone? Don't serve Jesus. If you want to be persecuted, serve Jesus. But the Bible says, Jesus himself says, when they persecute you for my sake or for my name's sake, let me translate. He says, dance a little jig, rejoice, rejoice, because that's just confirmation that you're one of his. So it's not like I'm looking for a fight with anybody, but if you live for Jesus and you stand on his word and you've got a word to preach that doesn't change with culture, then, then you're going to be attacked. Raise your hand if you've been attacked on social media before. Like you, you just posted a verse and then you haven't heard from that person for, for, for like 15 years and all of a sudden they're commenting saying how ugly it is for you to stand for the unborn. That just happened to me. Someone I haven't heard from in 13 years hijacks my thread. <laughs> it's another message. It's here and it's coming. Okay? In this case of Paul, they made up stuff. They're just making up stuff about him. And there's power. There's power. In gossip, there's power in falsehood. There's power in rumors. And let me show you what I mean by that. Acts 21, verses 30 through 33. Listen to what Luke says. Then all the city was stirred up. How many of y'all know? Cities and churches get stirred up when people say things they shouldn't say. When they gossip, when they lie, when they spread rumors. Don't do that. Don't stir the church up with falsehood. If you're going to stir anything up, let it be with the truth. Are y'all with me? Stir the pot with the truth. But anyway, the people ran together. It says they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. Uh oh. Verse 31. <clears throat> and as they were seeking to what? Say it again. Kill him. Word came to the tribune of the cohort. He it says when the word came to him that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Look at verse 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him, that is Paul, and ordered Paul to be bound with two chains. And then he inquired who he was and what he had done. Now, the bad news here is that Paul was what? Arrested. 
Y'all with me in the story? That's the bad news. He was arrested. The good news is, by being arrested, Paul's life was saved from these Jews who it says right here, here were seeking to kill him. Now, in God's good providence, he orchestrated this where Paul would go to Jerusalem, face opposition. He would be bound, about to be killed here, but then God used a Roman tribune to rescue Paul from the hands of the people who should have loved him the most. You see that right there? God used this tribute to rescue Paul. He was arrested but saved, arrested but spared. Let me give you one more example. In Acts 22, see we're done with chapter 21. There you go. Look at chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. It says this, Luke says, When it was day, everybody say day. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now that's a serious vow, isn't it? How many of y'all, how many of y'all know that here in Acadiana, Paul would have been dead very quickly because we ain't waiting very long. <laughs> they made a vow neither to eat nor drink until dude was dead. Like in, in more than 40, it says right here in verse 13, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Now, I mean, these are some bloodthirsty folks. These Dudes hated Paul. Imagine more than 40 people sending you a Facebook message saying because of your stand for Jesus and because of what you believe that over 40 people send you over 40 messages saying that they're not going to eat or drink until you're dead. Think about that for a minute in a modern context. You ever had a death threat? I mean, people have said, I've been called... Every name in the book. Because of my faith in Jesus. I have been blasted on social media. I've been blasted. And I said it last Sunday, or two Sundays ago. I said, preachers, if you can't stand the pressure, get another job. Okay? I'm not looking for a fight, but I have been blasted. But I have never, and the day's still young. I've never received a death threat. Certainly not. I mean, over 40. Think about this. Like, I mean, y'all know this is another level. It's another level. Well, over 40 are out to kill Paul. They were out for blood. But, as we see in the text, someone was watching out for Paul. And let me just say this to you. Somebody's been watching out for you. <laughs> I think y'all know that's true. Like you look back into your, your teenage years, dear heavens. Someone said, do you, have a, do you have a guardian angel? I'm like, I had about, I had about 250 at least who I had to just wear out. Could barely keep up with my Mustang. Had three of them actually. But raise your hand if you, as you look back and you're like, if not for God, I would have been dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and those of you who don't have your hand up, let me just help you. If it were not for God, <laughs> I promise you, he's the one who delivered you. And there are those situations we know about, like, oh gosh, like if God doesn't come through, like we look back, if he hadn't come through, then I would have been gone. But l- let me help y'all. There are all kinds of attacks 
that have come against you that you didn't even see, that you didn't even know about, but God did. And he commanded his angels concerning you to guard you and to keep you. And that's why you are here today right now. If not for God. The psalmist says, if the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side, how many of you are thankful the Lord has been on our side? And you're like, well, but I know people who have died. That's right. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so like this whole thing's rigged. You understand as a Christian, you win either way. It's better to be with him. But if you're here today, it's because God's purpose for your life is still in motion. It was in motion for the Apostle Paul. It didn't matter if he went to Rome, or at least at this point, to Jerusalem. He would later be killed. But here in Jerusalem, wherever he went, he was going to complete God's will. He was going to walk in it. And then, once that was done, we'll talk about this in weeks to come, his head was gone. Praise God. Listen to what it says here. Acts 22, 16 through 22. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. I mean, y'all know it's nice when people are looking out for us. Somebody heard about this ambush, the son of Paul's sister. So he went and entered the barracks, and he told Paul. He had visiting rights. He told Paul what was going on. Verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. As he has something to say to you, the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it you have to tell me? Verse 20. And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. Verse 21. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Listen to what happens next. Then he, the tribune, called two of the centurions and said, This is huge, y'all. This is huge. Get ready, 200 soldiers, with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Now, a lot of details going on here, but I hope you see the big picture. The Jews hated Paul. The Jews are trying to kill Certain Jews are trying to kill Paul. The son of Paul's sister, we are told, hears about this report, gets it eventually to the tribune. The tribune then basically writes a letter to the governor, Governor Felix, saying, I'm sending this man, Paul, to you so that you can hear his case. But what we see here is that he sent Paul with military protection to go from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now, think about this. Just just a few minutes ago, Paul's at the hands of Jews and he's about to be killed. Now, he's in the hands of the Romans, surrounded by protection, 
attributed to sending him from Jerusalem to Felix because the tribune was basically to this point. Okay, I've rescued you, Paul. I've gotten you out of these messes, but this has got to go to Felix, and I'm going to let Felix, the governor, hear your case. And so if you read through the story, that's exactly what happens. They send Paul with protection so no one could kill him. Paul stands before Felix, but there, as we read in Acts, uh, Ananias, the high priest, and this lawyer named Tertullus was there. And Tertullus lays all these charges against Paul and basically bringing accusations against Paul to show Felix that Paul was guilty of the things that he spoke about. And so Tertullus makes his case against Paul. But then Paul stands up and Paul gives his defense to Governor Felix. And here's what Luke tells us in Acts 24, beginning in verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, it's what we would call Christianity or the faith, put them what? Hello. Put them, put them off. Saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept, that his Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. And that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Look at verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about, say it with me, faith in Christ Jesus. That's so important. Look at verse 25. And Paul, it says, and as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was what? I guess so. He was alarmed and said, Paul, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him, thinking that Paul was going to give him some money. Verse 27, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor... Felix left Paul in prison. Whew. That's a lot to share. Let me ask you a question. If you had 20 minutes with the governor, <laughs> your governor, what would you say? What would you share? What would you talk about? Potholes? Like, Governor, you think we can do something about the roads in Louisiana? How many of y'all, many of y'all got a list of some things you would bring and talk about to the governor? No one? Maybe that's the problem. Anybody got a list? You got some things? I mean, we've all got some things. I got, you got like an audience with the governor. Like, what would you say? Like, I've got a lot of things I'd share on a non-spiritual level. Paul had an audience here with Felix, the governor. And he could have shared anything. He offers his defense. But we're told that he took advantage of the moment to talk about faith in Christ Jesus. How many of y'all know? As men and women of God, 
we need to take every opportunity that we can to talk about the need for faith in Christ Jesus. May God raise up some people around politicians who are bold enough to talk about the necessity of faith in Christ Jesus. Not just politics as usual, but to talk about the true king, not just of America, but the king of the universe named Jesus, to take advantage of that, to be bold enough to talk about faith in Christ Jesus. May God raise up people bold enough to do that, who aren't worried about losing followers, who aren't worried about losing influence, who aren't worried about the reputation, who aren't worried about what people think or what politics, who are bold enough to talk about the truth of the gospel. Paul did that. He had some time with Felix here. And initially he talks about the need for these things. And he goes on. He, he talks about, it's, it's really a four-point message to the governor. Faith in Christ Jesus. What else? Righteousness. Self-control. And the coming judgment. How many of y'all know that was a bold move? Of all the things he could have talked about, Paul stood his ground, shared his testimony, talked about faith in Jesus, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Now, why did Paul do that? I mean, there's the obvious thing, I think, that we would say of why he did that, but let's get down to the details. Why did Paul share this four-point message? Well, I believe he did because he knew that Felix needed to hear this message because Felix himself was an unbelieving, unrighteous, unethical, out-of-control governor. He had many marriages. His current uh, marriage, the current woman he had, he took by force. And so Felix was the kind of guy, if he wanted a woman, it didn't matter who she belonged to, he would just take her. Using his power and authority to take whomever he wanted. He was unrighteous. Would y'all agree that that's unrighteous? He was unethical. He would accept bribes. He was unjust. I mean, historians tell us that Nero, who was a madman, had concerns about Felix. How many of y'all know if Nero has concerns about you, you need to get through freedom in a small group quickly. Are y'all, are y'all tracking? So Felix was not some good dude, not some righteous ruler. He was unrighteous. He was unbelieving. He was unethical. He was out of control. If he wanted money, he would do whatever he could to get the money. Like many politicians today. Not all. Certainly not all. There's some God-fearing politicians. But many are that way. And Paul shared this four-point message, I believe, with Governor Felix because he knew that Felix would one day stand before the king of the universe to give an account to him. Let me say it this way. Paul escaped so that he could stand before Felix and give Felix a chance to escape the wrath that is to come. So when you read the Bible, it's important to see stories in the whole, to see the patterns. You can't read minds, but you can read patterns. And so Paul, he's bound, he escapes, he's bound, he escapes, but he's not fully free here, but he stands before this man who has all this great authority and power, and of all the things he can say, he shares this message. I love Paul. 
a man who loved deeply, but who would stand firmly on the gospel and would not flinch an inch and took advantage of every moment in front of him. I want to be like that one day. Paul says in Acts 17, 30 and 31, going back, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, everybody say now. Now he commands. God is not like, hey, do you mind? And I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just reading the text. He commands all people everywhere to do what? Say it again. To repent, change their mind, change their direction, forsake their sin, cling to Christ. Okay? Because, verse 31, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in what? There's that word again. In righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man? The God-man, the eternal son, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is his name in delivering people from their sin is his game. He will judge the world. Whoa. It doesn't get more serious than this, does it? That there's coming a day. Time's running out. The world as we know it will someday come to an end. The world as you know it will come to an end. If not the end of history when Christ comes back, at the end of your life when you breathe your last. Time is running out. And Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed for man to die once and then, then face judgment. Oh, but I don't want to hear that. I get it. My flesh doesn't want to hear it either. Bear with me. But perhaps Paul escaped death at least twice so that he could stand before Felix to give this governor a way to escape the wrath that is to come. And y'all know this was Felix's moment to hear, to believe, to repent, and be saved. Do you remember what he said? I just read it. The Bible says that Felix said to Paul, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. In other words, Paul, that's nice. That's great. You know what? When I get time, uh, yeah, I'll have you come back. And by the way, bring some money with you when you come, and I might let you go. I mean, this is such a clear picture of a reprobate governor who could not care less about righteousness, self-control, and the things of God. Do you see that in Felix? Do you see that in the world? Have you ever seen that in yourself? That's who I was before I came to Christ. Felix had this moment to respond to the great preaching of the Apostle Paul. And he sent Paul away. He procrastinated. And this is a picture of many people today. Many people just don't want to hear the truth about their unrighteousness, 
about their lack of self-control. How many of y'all know we live in a very out-of-control society? And you say, well, the schools are out of order and, you know, the, the courthouses and all these places. You look at all these spheres of society. They're all out of order. And that's true. But how many of y'all know, for the most part, that's the case? Schools are out of order. People in schools are out of order because homes are out of order. When homes are out of order, when there's no king in the Israel of your life, when there's no king governing you, when the Lord Jesus is not king over you, there will be disorder around you, and that disorder will affect everyone around you, and then you have a whole society that you look at and see today. It is the inevitable fruit of there being no King Jesus in America. Am I telling the truth? I must. I'm behind the pulpit. I'm going to tell you the truth. That's my opinion. That's the way I see it. Are there many exceptions? Yes, of course. Thank God for the righteous. Thank God for the Christians who have not bowed their knee to bow. How many of y'all know he always reserves a remnant? And you're part of that remnant today. So there's good news all over the place. But I'm telling you that Felix is a picture of many in culture today. And many don't want to hear the truth. Even though, check it out, according to Paul in Romans 1, people know the truth. Because God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen from what's been made, Paul says, so that people are without excuse. In other words, you walk out the front door. You can put the Bible here and walk out the front door. And basically Paul is saying that God has made himself known, not just through the written word, but through the world. And when you look out, you look at the skies, you look at the stars, you look at everything that's been made. That's God saying, hello, that's me. I'm big. I did that. John Calvin, the reformer, says that the theater, the world, is the theater of God's glory. And we all have front row seats to it. People say, I didn't know. They know. They say they don't know. They know. They take the truth. We take the truth and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Have you ever been to to, to, to a beach or to any body of water with a ball, a beach ball, you try to push it down? Try to push it down? What happens? Maybe you get it halfway under. What's that beach ball going to do? It's going to come right back up. How many of y'all know when culture tries to push down the truth of the word of God, it might go down a bit, but it's going to come right back up. And so that all people are without excuse. On judgment day, no one will have the excuse. Well, I didn't know. God's like, I sent preachers to you. You can make fun of them all you want, but I sent preachers. I gave you the heavens and the earth to everything to see. You're in the theater of my glory. Your conscience bears witness. What do you mean you say you don't know? Nobody can say to God they didn't know. Nobody. No one can say they didn't know that murdering the unborn is wrong. Nobody can say that before God. You can say it on social media. You can say it before people. But no one will stand before God and get away with that. Nobody. If you've had an abortion, Jesus loves you and he will forgive you just like every sin. Thank God for his amazing grace. Are y'all with me? Did I just say that? Yes, and I'll say it again. Listen to me carefully. Whether it's that or anything, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before the throne of God to give an account for every word we say, for everything we do. And we can justify it. Oh, there are... Million justifications. Truth dies for people to the death of 10,000 qualifications. But nobody can say they didn't know.
And if that's true for the unbelieving world, if you're sitting under my preaching, and I love every one of you here, you all can never say you didn't know. <laughs> Y'all are in big trouble. And I'm in even worse trouble because I'm the one giving you the message. I'm like, Jesus, I'm done. Are y'all with me? Is this heavy? It's supposed to be. I just preach what's next in the text. I told y'all that. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just preaching what's next in the text. Watch this. Culture will do everything it can to silence you and to make you feel bad about telling them about the reality that awaits them. Y'all understand. I mean, the devil has a playbook. And there are a lot of plays he runs. But right now, more than anything, the devil works overtime to just get you to shut up. To silence the church. Now, please, don't be ugly. Don't be harsh. Don't be unloving. And please don't be self-righteous and judgmental. Trust me, I'm fully aware of what Jesus saved me from. And I don't deserve any good thing that I have in Christ. And of all the sinners, Jesus should have thrown me in hell first. I'm aware of his mercy. And I thank God for it every day. You know, and when you understand mercy like that, it empowers you to tell people the truth, but to do so with fear and trembling. Right? Dear God, if not for your mercy and grace... I'd be cut off from you forever. The sobering truth from Paul as he preached to Felix is this. If you don't surrender to Jesus in this life, it will be too late on the day of judgment. It will be too late. And John says in Revelation 20 beginning in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Not just what they believed, but what they had done. Then death and Hades let me back up. And the seed gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. Once again, it says, each one of them according to what they had done. Then again, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Took my breath away. When you get that, it sobers you up. Steve Lawson describes what I just read in these terms. He says, on that day, every lost sinner will be individually summoned to take his stand before the divine judgment bar where every unbeliever will have his day in court before the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the evidence will be presented and it will be an irrefutable case presented by God himself. 
There will be no rebuttal offered, no defense rendered, and no sympathy extended. There will be no grace, no advocate to defend the sinner, and no miscarriage of justice. There will be no successful appeal by the guilty and no parole from prison as an escape. There will only be on that day, if I were to add, perfect judgment. Everything in our carnal nature wants to run from what I just read and say, that can't be, that can't be. Everything in us, in our unbelieving lives, in our carnal nature, in our flesh, wants to run from that. And I promise you, preachers, run from that. But just a question, and I'm not saying I'm the only one. Where are the preachers in America, the preachers of righteousness, who will stand flat-footed and tell are some but there should be way more but meanwhile influencers are more worried about building their platforms and not losing followers than they are preaching the pure word of God and I say to the influencers with all your influence with all the people that follow you preachers when are you going to start preaching the gospel and warning people about the judgment to come Because listen to me, influencers, and listen to me, church, that's one of the most loving things you can do. If you know someone's about to go off the cliff, isn't it the most loving thing to do to warn them? Oh, but they'll think I'm unloving. It doesn't matter. It's not your job to dictate how they feel. It's our job to share the truth and to do it with humility and with the fear of God, with fear and trembling and with love, with love in your heart, with love, with embrace, saying, please believe this gospel turn. Pastor God, Pastor God, it's a lot of bad news. It is very bad news. For people who reject Christ in this life, it's very, very bad news. I can't think of news that's worse than that. Let that just sit for a second. It's bad news. I'd be here thinking, I thought God was loving. Pastor Scott, I thought he was loving. All this stuff? I'd never serve that God. Okay. Let me help you. The God of Scripture is very loving. He is very patient. He's very long-suffering. You know what long-suffering means? It means he's got a long fuse. How many of y'all know the God of the Bible apparently has a very long fuse because the sun came up this morning over this wicked nation and he let us live another day. My God, but we think we're not that bad, but God defines who we are apart from him and that's who we are. We are unrighteous. We lack self-control and the judgment is coming and the only way of escape is Jesus. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. Say it with me. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. 
bad news is that this is what awaits the unbelieving world. The good news is that God has provided a way of escape. Hallelujah. Praise God. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, which you'll see over and over again, spirals this theme to the Bible, that there's, there's judgment, but there's salvation. There's condemnation, but there's always a way of escape. Going all the way back, I could use 20 examples. How about the people? How about as a picture of the people of Israel who are in Egyptian captivity? Do you remember what happened? They cried out to God. God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Moses went to the people, told them to applaud the blood. Do you, rem- you remember what happened? That God used Moses as a leader to lead the people out of Egypt, taken out by the blood, spared the wrath of God. Y'all remember the story? Exodus 12. God always provides a way of escape. He liberated them from Egypt. And how many of y'all know he is liberating people today from the consequences of sin because your God has raised up a greater Moses and his name is Jesus. And the only way that we can be saved is by the blood of the lamb and our surrender to him. Come on, y'all. He provides a way of escape and he didn't have to. Y'all are going to make me preach another hour. He's rich in love. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. Oh, how great is the love of God toward those who fear him and keep his commandments to those who repent of their sin and turn to Christ. Come on, y'all. If you're in Christ today, you are a recipient of God's favor and his mercy forever. As you remain in him, his blessing remains on you. And there's nothing but blessing for you in this age and the one to come. And that doesn't mean there won't be trials. There will be. But your God uses those trials to conform you to his image so that when you arrive in heaven, you look a lot more like Jesus than when you started. Come on, somebody. God is working in our lives. He's our champion. He provides a way of escape. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you and this culture that's lost its ever-loving mind. That's the God of Scripture, the kindness and the severity of God. And we've got to preach both.